Alina off Nagy's glove into center field. The Florida Marlins have won the World Series. Spins, throws, he got him! A perfect game for Roy Halladay! 27 up and 27 down! Behind the bag, it gets through Buckner! for the Nationals in the first game in their beautiful new ballpark. Left center field, Grissom on the run. The team of the 90s has its world championship. Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of You Gotta Believe, a By The Men NL East podcast. We are here every Thursday to talk to you about the National League East and Major League Baseball. I'm Jody Jamison, I support the Philadelphia Phillies. Thomas Ross, I support the New York Mets. Uh, so we will be talking Phillies-Mets shortly. Uh, the series just wrapped up yesterday, the first series of the season. Uh, we'll be talking about, obviously, what else is going on in the NL East. We will start off with the broadcaster, though. Uh, there was an interesting announcement on Saturday night that uh, Ron Darling is going in for surgery. He announced it on the broadcast as they were playing the Braves. Um, and, yeah, so um, obviously kind of concerning that... Um, something like this is happening there's a i guess there's a bit of optimism that it's going to be something quite routine but it uh, came to a shock to a lot of people that uh what did they had a, what did he what did he say he said he had a growth in his chest or something like that like a mass on his chest yeah a mass, that was it yeah so it's cancer but it, it's it's operable um um obviously because he announced he's having um surgery quite soon i think it's uh i think it's probably why he, he waited until he uh absolutely had to to go on his sick leave um so yeah he just sort of announced it i mean he was obvious gary cohen was sort of setting him up for it because they obviously they've obviously known for a while because ronnie said that he's sort of been sitting on this for a while and he's been ill for a while and for a few months i think he's basically said and yeah he's just said it's quite tragic he's got a mass on his chest and um so it is cancerous and um and he's i think it's next week i think that he's going to be um get the surgery and he, he sounded you know relatively optimistic that he i mean they said you know assuming everything goes to plan he'll be back where he belongs next month um so um fingers crossed and uh yeah he, he's a you know i wouldn't say he's an icon of metal but he you know he was one of our main pitchers when we won last won the world series and He's part of a uh, an iconic commentary team as well, so it's he's very well thought of, um, obviously amongst Mets fans, and we're we're all uh, pulling for him because it's uh, you know it's just horrible news, and Mets fans the world over are understandably really gutted. Yeah, I, I mean I, I've said it before in the podcast about the Mets broadcast is one of the best. Um, team broadcasts in in baseball and i think i've always hated the three-man booth but they make it really really work i much prefer the two-man booth but those three together are so so good and 
Like I, I, there's like most most fans. I know most Phillies fans who have watched the Mets pro Mets broadcast talk about how good it is, and I think it makes it even more frustrating um, how infuriating the Phillies one can be. But yeah, um, the Mets broadcast is always one I've enjoyed. If, if I if, if I'm watching the Phillies play the Mets, I'll always watch the Phillies broadcast just because I'm an idiot like that. But if I'm ever watching a Mets game, regardless of who they're playing, other than the Phillies, I will put on SNY because those three are just absolutely brilliant. Cohen. Uh, Hernandez and, Dar- and Darling have just nailed it. And it's been like that for a long time now. So, um, yeah, hopefully ev- everything will be quite routine for Ron Darling. Um, he's, a, he's a good broadcaster. Uh, I know, obviously, he's had his uh, run-in recently with uh, Lenny Dykstra, which I don't know if you want to expand on or not because it, it was a strange one. But, um, yeah, uh, I hope everything works out good for him. Uh, I hope he's back in the in the booth in May. That was sounded like the hope, to be honest, and what you said that he'd be back in a month if everything goes well. So hopefully that's the case. But yeah, um, we just we just uh, give our best wishes to Ron Darlin, and hopefully the SNY broadcast will will have the three man booth again pretty soon, and everything goes the way we hope it will. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, it's uh, just touching on the. Lenny Dykstra story. There was it's basically the crux of it was that there was um, some allegations made about Lenny Dykstra in Ron Darling's um, book. Um, I won't go into it because uh, it's quite a, it's relatively dark, and I'm pretty sure most people who are listening to this podcast know the story. If they're not, then just search Ron Darling Lenny Dykstra. You'll find it. And um, but there was a quickly deleted um, tweet from Lenny Dykstra. He replaced it with a much more nicer one. Um, which is fans' laptop, which was just sickening. But the, I've got the deleted tweet in front of me from uh, the 13th of April, which says, "But a maybe it's not such a great idea to go to Nails' bad side." File. No, I, no, I didn't make him an offer he couldn't refuse. Hashtag Karma is a bitch. That's that's so poor, isn't it? Yeah, it, 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 but you can, unfortunately, you can virtually understand it. The Dijkstra's ever since I've sort of like followed the Mets and being into baseball and got into our former teams and that. And, I mean, Dykstra obviously was a, a former Philly, of course, as well. So, yes. um, you know, he's uh, won, he won a World Series with us and a pennant with you and, um, and had an, an amazing world, and a historic World Series as well. As a player, obviously uh, brilliant, despite his rumoured, um, let's just call it a training regime. But He's always looked and acted, certainly since he retired, to act like he's got some screw looses. Um, and it was um, uh, the allegations made by Ron Darling. Uh, I am prepared to believe them, to be perfectly honest. So it, because Dykstra is just a bit nutty, really. <laughs> and it, it's uh, and you know that tweet just says it all, really. But he must have tweeted it. He must have deleted it immediately because he uh he said he replaced it with one that was got his fans lapping up saying oh great class shown lenny and things like that and he was like it was sickening really people obviously haven't seen that tweet and he was uh, i mean whatever you're going through you know with a, an ex-player and that you you can't call cancer karma you know so it's it's whoever it is i don't care who they are it's uh it's a vile thing to say to anyone and and um, and I certainly won't be forgetting that, and Mets fans as a whole won't. I don't think, not, you know, the decent 
decent Mets fans, I think, will all remember sort of what Dijkstra said and will remember Ronnie an awful lot more. Yeah, I think I think so. Yeah, not to completely dismiss Dijkstra, but his uh, his uh, conduct with that one was uh, not exactly um, not exactly um, honourable. Yes, that's that's a that's a great way to put it. That's a great way to put it. So uh, on to some actual baseball. Um, we will we will talk Mets Braves. Um, I watched a couple of games of that series last week. I think I watched the first one and the last one because um, it was the Thursday to Sunday four gamer, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I watched Thursday and I watched uh, Sunday Night Baseball. But um, our teams played for the first time this series, uh, season, Mets and Phillies in Philadelphia. Um, the first one was a close game, went to extra innings. The Mets took it in extras. Second one, the Phillies blew the doors off Stephen Matz early, aided by some pretty dreadful fielding by Rosario. And the third game was close. Uh, the Phillies took the rubber game 3-2 yesterday. Um, I think that over these three games, I thought that um, the Phillies were very good and slightly for, uh, slightly unfortunate not to sweep the series the way game one went. Though you can definitely make the argument that the Phillies' bullpen was lucky not to throw away game three. So, uh, Thomas, what's your takeaways from the first meeting of the Phillies and Mets? Because the Mets have owned the Phillies over the last probably six, seven years, uh, both head-to-head and tending to be where they finish in the division but uh, what was your takeaway for this series uh, yeah just more of the same problems really i mean it was uh I, I fully agree that i came away after yesterday's defeat thinking well it, you know we were pretty lucky not to be swept really because uh um because you know it was a terrible i mean we were always well not always in front obviously because it was tied for a bit but that first game, you know, we put up a three spot and, um, in the first, and you think, oh, here we go. And then, you know, the um, and then the Phils come back. We put up, uh, sorry, in the third, sorry, put up an, a, a three spot themselves. We get a two, and then they get a two, and then it was back and forth. And then we gave gave it away in the eighth. And this sort of like shows the inexperience and just this stupid tactics of our manager Mickey Calloway, uh, because in the eighth, I think. Um, Obviously, I was in bed when this was happening, but I think, if I recall correctly, it was the bases were loaded and it was two outs, I think. And it was, um, and then he instead of like bringing in Diaz for a four-out save, something he's um, uh, more than capable of doing, he brings in a, a star, a guy who's a starter that's become a pretty decent bullpen guy, and then he throws four successive pitches, walks in a run, and. And the game's tied. It, it was because the, the Mets have got this thing in the where they don't want to pitch Diaz in anything other than a, uh, you know, like a save situation, which is just not very flexible. You can't be like this, especially in such a division like ours. And it's, um, yeah, it's uh, it's worrying really that you know we've got a manager that's not prepared to do to, to be very flexible. And it's, uh, uh, and they said, and then he was looking you know, and we went to extras and then. Um, uh, a uh, poor defensive play by um, uh, Hoff. I guess he was a like, defensive plays were the, the theme of that game really because Jeff McNeil made two magnificent plays including one for a double play um, which got familiar out of trouble um, and then um, and then that Hoskins um, I mean it was a tough play I think it was on a one hop in the 11th um, but he should have made should have made the play it was 
feel very messy. It was good base running by Lagares as well, just to make sure he scored because if he stops at any point, he probably he, he might he might have been a, a closer play even with a with a slightly better throw. Um, and then the second game, less said the better, I guess. It's Stephen Matt has been brilliant so far this season. He's added a new changeup as well. He looked he's looked fantastic so far, much more like his best. And then um, he becomes the first ever player against the Phillies to. Uh, to someone like concede that many runs or or not recording out or, or something like that. He conceded, what was it, six, seven runs by himself. It was six, uh, it was six earned. Um, yeah, because there was a couple of errors, wasn't it? it yes. Yeah. Was, granted, he was he was possibly unfortunate not to be out of the inning because the first, it was McCutcheon's grounder that um, he booted and McCutcheon got on. And then the second one that went through his legs, I think was a tailor-made double play which would have ended the inning. Um, I can't remember how much damage there was at the time, to be honest, but um, yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was obviously he's given up two monster home runs in the inning as well. So, you know, it's not, it's not like you can give him too much sympathy, but there is the argument that he could have been out of the inning, uh, certainly before Franco's home run. Yeah. I mean, we, it's, yeah, certainly, but uh, we were, sort of quite lucky really because then we brought in a Drew with an pronouncing this right Gagnon I'm not sure though whether it's a French name um, and then he pitched um, he saved our ball but I know he gave up five we took one for a team basically then he five and a third innings and um, he pretty, went, much through, pretty much through 100 pitches yeah five um, yeah 97 pitches yeah five and a third I mean if you you lose your starter without him recording an out and the foot and in the first inning, it took about 25 minutes or something. It, uh, it, you are thinking, oh, we, our bullpen could be really stacked today. We could have to use, you know, maybe four or five before we, um, four are out of here at least. And yet we only end up using F3, which include Matt. So it's, you know, Gagnon five and a third, then Seawolves two and two third, and Gagnon's, um, uh, sort of, uh, uh, respond well prize for that if you were it was to get demoted down to to triple a <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't the only one sent down to triple a from that game because nick pavetta has started the season really poorly and yeah, yeah. i mean he came in he came into the second inning 10 nothing up and all he's got to do is you know um settle down throw some strikes see what happens and then he immediately gave up a home run to Wilson Ramos and it's just like right okay this is a problem and he I mean he kind of just pitched himself into, into trouble um in a few of the innings and it was just it was it was frustrating to be honest and Pavetta just really hasn't been good so he was sent down as well Jared Eikhoff came in and pitched four innings four really strong innings to finish that game off and Eikhoff's going to take Pavetta's uh, spot in the rotation because he's a, he's he's gone back to Lehigh Valley to try and get himself straightened out. But uh, a couple of other pitchers that could really do to get straightened out, and I didn't think we'd be talking about them like this from uh, game one. Noah Syndergaard, ERA over five. He's been middling. He's been great at times. Uh, he's been very, very hittable at times. And Aaron Nola... Um, who has been, it's starting to concern me, I won't lie. I'm actually starting to get worried about Aaron Nola. So for your point of view, what are you seeing from Syndergaard and how how confident are you that this is just a blip to start the season? Um, of all the sort of Mets guys who are struggling, and I, I've got to include DeGrom in this, is that 
he's the one who's looked the least bad, as as it were, really, because Wheeler's been feast or famine. I mean, I actually thought yesterday, apart from a, a couple of hit me balls, he actually pitched pretty well. But he was, um, but Syndergaard is, as I said, feast or famine at times as well himself. He's at times he's looked fantastic, like his old self, and his uh, his stuff is just as good as ever because. Rhythmically, he looks correct. He looks everything looks correct to me. Unlike the who looks a bit out of sync at the moment. But um, Syndergaard, as I said, the stuff is definitely there, and it, it, it's. Um, I'm not really that worried because I mean, he get against the Braves. I think it was where he went seven innings and he was 87 pitches through those seven innings, and he gave up four in the eighth. And that's, you know, if he doesn't, if he comes out of. Um, comes out of that unscathed and maybe in seven innings and he actually only gives up maybe even one run or something like that that ERA go is a bit maybe a bit more respectable but uh, but yeah I mean he was poor against the Phillies and the he was exceptional against the Nats but he took the defeat um, uh, but um, and well in one of the games he's had against the Nats he think oh I'm not sure now I'm trying to think if he's pitched once or twice against him certainly once but he's always lost in uh Nationals Park. He's got a. T- he's. It's definitely his kryptonite. Nationals Park is for some reason. He's got a terrible record there. Uh, but I'm not as worried about um, uh, about Noah than I than I am maybe about a couple of the others. I'd say. Fair enough. The the concern with Nola at the moment for us is that uh, his fastball is fine. There's nothing wrong with his fastball. He's locating it reasonably well. It's still got good movement on it. Still where you'd expect in terms of velocity but he was just not commanding his breaking stuff at all so hitters are able to just sit back and you know they're, they're able to just sit on the fastball and i mean his his, his change up and his curveball were were so big last season but he's not been able to locate either of them this season so hitters are just waiting for that fastball because the the the, the breaking ball is all over the place and I mean that's that's starting to become a concern that he's just not commanding his off-speed pitches at all. So, um, as a hitter, um, doesn't matter how good your fastball is, if you know it's about the only thing that's going to end up in the zone, then you can sit on it and potentially tee off. But yeah, that's that's four starts this season for Nola, and I mean it's it's not been pretty. Um, I'm, I'm I I would love to know like what sort of ERA he'd have to put up between now and the end of the season to get close to what he was last year. Because, I mean, his ERA is over seven after four starts. And I'm not going to panic, but, I mean, he's really got to figure out his off-speed stuff because um, it's not it's not great at the moment. And, yeah, um, I think his next start will be in Colorado. So uh, if he doesn't get it straightened out there, then it could get messy. But... We, we we shall see. It's it's early days, and we always see some strange uh, stat lines. We always see some hitters over 400. We always see some uh, hitters under like 150. We see terrible pitchers with an ERA under one or under 1.5, and then we see some really good ones with gaudy ERAs early. But uh, we'll see what happens with that. Um, in the rubber match, I thought, like you said, Zach Wheeler pitched very very well. Bar he did give up a couple of solo home runs, which were. Uh, very hittable. I thought Arietta had an absolute gem, to be honest. They gave up six hits over eight plus. I think four of them were infield singles as well. So I thought he had a great game. But that ninth inning was as nervy for me as April baseball can possibly be because I think Alonso hit the Alonso hit the um, the um, infield single to open the inning. 
Brought in Adam Morgan, who immediately plunked Cano with a slider. Uh, Conforto flew out. Uh, I think they had first and third. Yeah, first and third, one out. I'm just trying to find it. And then Neres struck out somebody. I can't remember who. Then uh, Rosario singles on another infield single. Um, Wilson Ramos comes up and gets plunked with a first pitch fastball from uh, Hector Neres. And then you get to that situation where it's 3-2, bases loaded, full count. Um, and it was Keon Broxton at the plate. And I know, obviously, like the difficult thing with facing Hector Neres is if he can locate his splitter, the fastball can be very, very effective. And he was locating his splitter, but he got away with a fastball right down the pipe on 3-2 uh, that Keon Broxton swung through. So, um, like I said, I thought the Phillies were in... You could make an argument the Phillies were unlucky not to sweep this series, but I think you can totally make the argument the Phillies were lucky to hang on yesterday. Yeah, and it's a very disappointing way to, to end. I mean, I said, I must admit, I, I was so furious by the end that I just didn't see us. So I was even surprised we scored two, to be honest, the way with the way Arietta was dealing. I thought, I'm turning off. So I uh, so I didn't see it. So I was just wondering, did we not have anyone left to maybe pinch hit for, for Broxton or something, like Dom Smith or something like that? Because that's, I uh, he would have been ideal, I would have thought. Uh, Dom Smith? Dom Smith, I don't think Dom Smith batted yesterday. Hold on. Oh, no, he did. He did. Right. So, uh, okay, fair Darno started and Ramos came in for him. Yeah, uh, I saw Darno. Um, and it was, uh, he got, uh, um, yeah, no, I know, obviously, I saw he was uh, playing. But it was, um, yeah, it was just a little bit disappointing. I mean, Broxton, he's just another Lagares, really, isn't he? I mean, he's a terrific defensive uh, fielder. I'm happy to have him there, but. In a clutch situation like that, I probably prefer having Lagares there. Certainly, I mean Lagares, little bits of seeing he's hitting in the clutch a little bit. I mean he's certainly come up with some big hits, and um, I trust him at the plate more than Broxton. That's for sure. He's uh, Broxton's just a defensive player, really. He's not got much out um, offensive output, really. Yeah, so um, interesting series. We do it all again next week in City Field. Um, so it was nice to not get bitch slapped by the Mets for once, I must admit. It's been a few years now where the Mets have just completely owned the Phillies. Although I already hate Jeff McNeil. He had a really, really <laughs> good series. Uh, not just, I, I know he had a couple of errors in, um, I think it was uh, Tuesday's game, but uh, when he moved to third base, he was just picking everything. And uh, he just he was just constantly hitting all series he's got Philly's killer written all over him to be fair he's got everyone killer written over him if I can just uh, come up with the hitting stats they're just insane he has he has had a ridiculous start to the season and his career in general to be honest well yeah I mean I think he averaged something like 340 last season but um, uh, let's see uh, let's see last uh, all season uh, yeah he's Joint third um, in terms of average um, behind Cody Bellinger and Jorge Polanco. And uh, um, yeah, he's, uh, he's he's batting 4.24. Let's have a look at on base. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, fourth. The only ones ahead of him are Bellinger, Santana, and Trout. That's insane. Yeah, so he's. Uh, well, I said he's just a good hitter, really, and he was. Uh, that's that's it. He's nothing. He's hit no home runs this season, but. He's still slugging over 500, which is not bad for a guy who's hit no home runs. You know, so it's, um, you know, he's uh, he's looking uh, pretty good. I mean, he is 
one we can rely upon really he was the find of last season for us and he's just again he's just another one which we weren't really expecting much of and he wasn't doing much in as far as I can remember he wasn't being outstanding in in Las Vegas but um wherever or I don't know actually I'm not sure whether we're there or we're at Syracuse now I think actually but um it was yeah he's just been really really solid really so again there's nothing flashed to him he just he's just a hitter professional yeah, I, I I I like him. I think he's good, but I can already tell I'm going to be. I'm already a bit sick of him. I won't lie. So yeah, uh, he he looks a good one. Um, the Braves. We'll talk about the Braves. Uh, they might be about to drop to 500. They dropped a game yesterday to the Diamondbacks in 10 innings. It was bases loaded walk, which uh, forced in the winning run for the Diamondbacks. Diamondbacks have just scored two in the seventh to go three nothing up. Uh, looking like the Braves might drop to nine and nine if they can't turn it around. What was the, the Mets and Braves played four games last last week? Was it was that split or did the Mets take three or four? I can't remember. It was we took the first two and they took the final two. That was it, right? Okay, so uh, the Braves, the Braves are just frustrating me at the moment. To be honest, yeah, they're they're getting very very steady production all over their lineup. So. Um, they like it's early, but I feel like they should be better than they are at the moment. If they do drop to, uh, if they drop do drop to nine and nine after this game, and Arizona have just scored another run, so it's four nothing. So, um, what, what's what's going on with the Braves? Why are they why are they so impossible to why are they so impossible to break down at the moment? Because they are they are they are hitting well. They are pitching not terribly, but um, yeah, they they might be about to go back down to five hundred. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, um, although, like, really, offensively-wise, over the past week, they've not been sort of that great. Just looking at um, some of it, Donaldson's come into a bit of form, but Swanson's taken a bit of nosedive. I mean, even Freeman, he's uh, he's actually just five for his last 25. Um, Marcakis, five for his last 19. Swanson, three for his last 17. It's only really Cunha, who's 11 for his last 21 with five walks. Um, so he's got an on-base of over 600 at the moment with an OPS of 1,500 in that time. It was, and Donaldson's got an on-base of just under 450. But apart from that, offensively-wise, they're just not really putting up sort of great numbers. And, you know, and I know from being a Mets fan, it's, if you're not putting up good numbers, it's, um, you know, offensive-wise, it puts a lot of pressure on your um, pitching to be brilliant and, it's uh, and it, and you know Acuna can't, and Donaldson can't do it all by themselves, you know. So it's um, and uh, Albies has had a slow-ish start, and um, so it's yeah, they just. I, I'm not too worried. I still think they're gonna a bit like the Mets. They're they're in a bit of a, what say they're in a slump or anything. They're just being very inconsistent and and um, really difficult to predict. But I think you know that's probably. They're symptomatic of this whole division, really, because we, uh, we, uh, just, it's, it is a hard division to call because all, all four top four teams have got some real problems. Mm-hmm. Definitely, definitely. I just every time I watch the Braves so far, it's like I don't like it. Doesn't feel like the Braves are playing terribly by any means. It just seems to me that like they are losing a lot of close games. Yeah, and. Like that can tend to balance out over the season. Like if if the game ended, they'd be nine and nine, but they'd still have a run different a positive run differential. 
And it just seems like every time I see them lose, it's not like they're getting the doors blown off them. So um, yeah, I'm not concerned about them or anything. I just I'm just finding them very very difficult to to uh, understand at the moment. So uh, the Nationals are playing at the moment. They they are games four nothing as well, but they are winning against the Giants. It's bottom of the sixth inning uh, as we record right now. Again, Nationals starting pitching is doing all right. Their offense is mostly doing okay. Their bullpen remains a tragedy. So, um, well, I, I say I, I said about their lineup. The middle of their order isn't giving them a huge amount, but the the first three or four are are hitting really well. But what what can Washington do to turn around their bullpen? Um, oh God! I know there's one obvious answer, but <laughs> it's. Uh... Well, they, well, I mean, hoping Trevor, Trevor Rosenthal just suddenly retires. You know? Well, there's okay. There's two obvious answers in that. <laughs> I mean, everybody's everybody's specs is just to sign Craig Kimbrell. Well, yeah. I mean, I um, I think I've, I've said it for a while. I think is the Kimbrell and and Keuchel. I think both that the best fit is any of the top four teams in our division. I'd say with the Mets, it's more likely we get Kimbrell, but um, it's. Uh, but I, I see the Braves as the right fit, but Washington, they, uh, we're all in a need for it. But yeah, right now they could really do with both of them. But you know, even if say, Keuchel and Kimbrel sign with someone tomorrow, um, you got to, I mean, what, I mean, the average sort of time to, to be in the minors, you know, before you get called up if you sign mid-season is going to be what 20, 20 games, you know, yeah. so. You know, especially if maybe even longer if you're a pitcher, you probably want four or five starts. And it was um, so it's going to be even if he signs like tomorrow, it's going to be late May before we even see them, and then that's another what 30 games. You know, so it's uh, I think they're in the most need of it, but I don't know whether they've just not got the money, but they obviously had 300 million they could have given to Harper, so they've obviously got some sort of uh, um payroll flexibility and maybe a bit more than the Mets have but it's just yeah there it is worrying really from them uh, uh really I said yeah, the other rotation has been mostly pretty good Corbin's had a good start um uh especially in his last game uh seven innings uh, only gave a one run four hits but um but, but yeah again I'm not overly worried for them I think they'll end up straightening it out I think it's just you know early season jitters and getting used to a new i mean uh i know he's i think david roberts is on the il i think now isn't he for you or at least injured so he, yeah which is weird because he actually started to look like he'd figured it out and then and then he he, he said he had some arm soreness and he's been placed on the il so uh, we'll see what happens that may explain why he started so poorly but um yeah it looked like he was finally straightening things out and then uh, ended up on the injured list so yeah. Christ knows. And the Marlins are terrible. So they are four and fifteen. They are one and nine in their last ten. Granted that win, they scored ten runs against the Phillies. Uh, they were, I think, ten nothing up going into the ninth before the Phillies got a few consolation runs. Yeah. They look bad. Um, their offense has been terrible so far. Their pitching has been up and down. Yeah. Um, some good, some good, some bad. Uh, their offense is just mostly bad. Um. They are where they are. What we think we, we we they are what we expected. Let's be serious. They they are they are bad, but they're not going to be this bad, surely. Yeah, I mean it's. Uh, I, 
yeah, I'm still expecting no more than probably about 100 games, 102, maybe something like that. It's uh, not expecting it to be Baltimore 2018, but so it's just. Uh, but yeah, it's it's a sorry state that the Marlins are in at the moment, and it's just yeah, no one's particularly um, sort of surprised really. And I think and a Marlins fan came, um, I think it all with a stat earlier on, or I saw it on Twitter at least that it's um, Castro is is leading the league, I believe, in or joints leading the league in hitting into double plays. So that probably says all you need to know, really. Yeah, exactly. It's it's insane. It's absolutely insane down there. Um, it's just depressing more than anything else. That um, and I, I'll probably end up saying this every week, but it's just so depressing to see them be have such talent consistently coming through and then just strip it the way they do. It's just depressing, and they are now they are now they they are now where they need to where they need to be to be honest because they they didn't they didn't have a good season last year obviously but a lot of people looked at that roster and expected them to kind of do what Baltimore did last season yeah and they've started so badly this year but i don't expect them to be on this pace i mean i mean they must be at the moment on pace for probably 115 to 120 i don't expect it to be that bad yeah. but yeah, I'm I'm kind of like you. I expect them. To, I I do expect them to go over a hundred this year, uh, partly because they're so bad, and partly because the the rest of the division's better, and obviously that makes up just over half their games. So it's what you'd expect. But yeah, I'm sick of the Marlins to be honest, and I wish they would just stop being so cheap and actually continue to bring through this talent and harvest it and keep it around, and not just extend it on a long contract and then trade it a year later. So yeah. Uh, yeah definitely it's, it's a sorry state for first it's irritating so um, over the next week we got another Phillies Mets series other than that I think it's only Washington against the Marlins that's uh, inside the division so um, obviously we'll be looking forward to Phillies Mets again um, but I'm, I'm intrigued with uh, Atlanta and the Nationals because they've just started to flatline a little bit um, and it's one of those weird things. Uh, I mean, your season's not going to be defined uh, in the last week or two of April, but uh, it's interesting to see what happens with the Braves because the Braves are in just a small, like a, like a mini funk at the moment. Nationals are just really just a 500 team at the moment, the way they're playing. But both of those teams are capable of just ripping off like a six or seven game winning streak. So uh, keeping an eye on what those two do over the next week is going to be really, really interesting. Uh, I, to be honest, like, I really wish the Braves and the Nationals were playing each other for three or four this weekend because yeah. it would just be so interesting to see what emerged from it. Yeah, yeah, it would be. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I, I, I'd be quite happy with, uh, you know, uh, us playing each other 30 times each, to be perfectly honest. It's uh, uh, because, you know, this, this it's always going to be a bit almost boring when we go outside our own division, uh, especially with those either side of playing you. We've got to play the Cardinals and the Brewers, so I'm not really looking forward to the next week or so. Philly's schedule is so weird, by the way. Yeah, go on. They've got the Rockies for four away, then it's obviously at the Mets, Marlins for four, Tigers for two, Nationals for three, right? That's Sunday, the 5th of May is the, the Nationals game on the Sunday, right? Yeah. And then the Phillies from the 5th of May do not play another team in the NL East till... 15th of June. 
Crikey. So it's like, it's essentially six weeks. Yeah, it's like we've, because um, we've got this weird thing with the Nationals, I think. I think, like, I think we've already played them six times. And I think we've got to play them, we're playing them, I think, another seven times before the end of next month. So by, you know, by the end of May, we're already 13 out of 19 done on the Nats. I think there was there was one season where um, the Phillies played the Braves quite recently as well. If I'm remembering rightly, they only played the Braves in April and September because it was like they they played like four series in the first month and then they played like uh, a, like three game sets over the last two weekends of the season. It was just strange as anything the way it worked out. Yeah, I mean, uh, I never, never know how deliberate those sort of things are really because it's obviously you played for the nineteen. 19 times so i assume it differs every year i assume um for who gets most home games yeah yeah but it's just it's bizarre to be honest the way the way the schedule's worked out but um yeah because it's pretty much let me let me just bring it back up again it is right so like there's there's that six week stretch where it's like Three against the Cardinals, three against the Royals, four against the Brewers, three against the Rockies, four against the Cubs, three against the Brewers, three against the Cardinals, three at the Dodgers, three at the Padres, three at home to the Reds, three at home to the Diamondbacks, and then it's back to the division. And then it's the division for like the rest of the month because it's like uh, Braves for three, Nationals for four, Marlins for three, Mets for four, Marlins for three, Braves for three. Mets for three, and then it's the All Star game. It's mental how that's worked out. Yes, yeah, pretty much spend like six weeks playing out of the division, and then three weeks in a row just playing in the division. Yeah, can't wait for that. That'll be a good. <laughs> that'll be a fun three weeks, to be fair. Yeah, I should have blocked that out when got some leave or something. I think I got some leave around that time, so hopefully I'll uh, <laughs> I'll be able to to watch someone. Uh, ones that are on midnight, I should say. Yeah, so um, before we wrap up tonight, we're gonna do we're gonna do a feature over the next five weeks where we do our favorite team, and we're gonna take um, an era or a year or whatever from every team in the National League East and uh, talk about it. Because I support the Phillies uh, and Thomas supports the Mets, we're gonna do the Phillies this week, and I guess we'll do the Mets next week. Uh, we'll probably put out on the Twitter page um, some choices for what we're gonna do for the Braves, Nationals, and Marlins. See if uh, anything's not that obvious, but. We'll, we'll we'll play that one by ear, but uh, before before I start talking about the Phillies, Thomas, have you figured out um, what you're going to do for the Mets next week, or is it are you going to surprise us? Um, and no, I think it's going to be pretty much predicted. Uh, it's going to be the 1916. I mean, it's especially because it's 50 years this year. So That's fair. Uh, yeah, and it's um, yeah, and we'll have some things uh, to talk about, um, things that we're going to be doing to. To commemorate it um and uh uh yeah and just obviously talking about that series because it's uh it's not just not just in baseball history but it, it's it's one of the most ridiculous stories in i think in all of sports history i mean maybe i'm i know i'm biased and everything but considering where we started in seven years prior you know it's um it's an incredible story you know being the worst team arguably in sports team sport history to then the top of the baseball world seven years later there is is so much to talk about with that 69 team yeah it's it's a crazy story and i uh i can't wait to i can't wait to get there yeah so we'll do we'll do that one next week and then uh we'll 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 do braves marlins nationals uh after that but i i'm going to talk about my favorite uh phillies era 
think most people's favourite Phillies era. Uh, obviously easier for me because I lived it. Um, but the 2007-2011 Phillies, uh, five division titles, two National League pennants and one World Series. Uh, just like the golden era of Phillies baseball, I think. Um, obviously the Phillies won the first World Series in 1980. But... Um, there was something about that team um, from 2007 to 2011 that I'll just never, ever forget. And it was a shame how quickly the wheels came off after 2011. But uh, the build-up to um, everything that went into 2008 and winning that World Series was just amazing. So obviously, like uh, going into the 2007 season, the Mets had just came off losing Game 7 of the NLCS to the Cardinals, who went on to win the World Series. And then Jimmy Rollins in spring training comes out and essentially says the Phillies are the team to beat, which was bold. Um, now, obviously, the Phillies had uh, drafted pretty well. Um, they had had Chase Utley, Ryan Howard, Cole Hamels, Jimmy Rollins all come into the team in the space of about five, six years uh, prior to that. But the Phillies were still missing a lot of depth. But they, they started to add things to that team. They started to add some guys that were going to make uh, a big difference as time went on. Uh, the 2007 season, though, was looking like <laughs> was was looking disastrous in the middle of September. I'll brush over this, Thomas, because I know it's painful for Mets fans. But uh, Mets held a seven-game lead with 17 games to play uh, that season. The Phillies didn't look like they were really in the wild card um, discussion, so it looked like they were going to miss the playoffs again. It, it was the Phillies hadn't been in the playoffs since they lost the World Series in '93. Uh, but then the Mets collapsed and the Phillies brought it back to uh, back to level with a couple of games to go. Going in the last game of the season, it was a case of um, what was going to happen. The Phillies just had to win and see what was happening um, in, in Flushing. Uh, Tom Glavin threw an absolute stinker for the Mets against the Marlins, giving up seven in the first inning. The Phillies knew they were in control of their destiny, brushed aside the Washington Nationals to get to the postseason. Uh, Brett Myers, who was mostly part of the Phillies' uh, rotation over his uh, career, that season he was the closer, which was it's kind of strange to look back on. He threw he threw the last pitch of the regular season, the pitch that clinched the the division for the Phillies. Uh, everybody was on a crest of a wave as well, and I think there was a lot of people looking at that Phillies team, the way the offense was, the way that Ryan Howard was hitting home runs, the way that Chase Utley was uh, hitting consistently. And just what they had up and down the lineup, there was a lot of people. The Phillies became a really sexy pick in 2007 to win that World Series when the postseason started. And then, of course, they promptly got swept out by the Colorado Rockies. So that was disappointing. Uh, 2008, though, was um, obviously obviously the year that people will remember for the Phillies. A uh, couple, of, couple of key additions that year. Um, the, 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 the weirdest one, though, was the addition of... Um, of Joe Blanton mid-season because I remember that uh, season there was a lot of big names going around that were traded mid-season one of them being CC Sabathia which a lot of people wanted the Phillies to go after he ended up going from the Indians to the Brewers um, and Sabathia was Sabathia was so good from the start of July till the end of September he was a candidate to win the NL Cy Young despite the fact he only pitched half the season in the NL um, whereas the Phillies went out and got Joe Blanton, which was just a, a middle of the rotation innings eating guy, um, and people honestly thought the Phillies didn't do enough um, that 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 uh, trade deadline, and I think it was kind of compounded because uh, just just as August started, 
The Phillies went on a road trip to the West Coast and they got swept out by the Dodgers, who had just picked up Manny Ramirez from the Red Sox in a four-game set. And then they took two of three. Uh, they took one of three, sorry, from the Padres. And I think the one they took was uh, Jamie Moyer pitching a gem at 45 years old. But uh, and genuinely, I remember at the time people saying that the Phillies should have sold at the deadline. Granted, I know that the people who were saying the Phillies should have sold at the deadline were stupid because. At the time, the Phillies had, obviously, Utley, Howard. The only things that you could have really sold were guys who were under team control for a while anyway. So selling for that team really didn't make a lot of sense in 2008. Um, they had guys who still had a lot of team control. And, yeah, it, it just wouldn't have made any sense. But there was people who felt like the Philly season was really, really falling to pieces. And going into the middle of September, they again were trailing the Mets. This time, by, I think, I think, they were, I think if I remember rightly, they were three games behind the Mets and they were four behind the Brewers going into mid-September. And they had a home series against the Brewers, um, a four-game series, and swept them out to tie the wild card. They eventually got past the Mets and won the division again. Um Brad Lidge, who had a perfect season as the closer, uh, people might remember, had a bit of a dodgy save to um, clinch the division. They, they were up by a run. Bases were loaded with one out. Smashed up the middle by Ryan Zimmerman straight at Jimmy Rollins, who turned the double play to clinch the division on the second last day. Uh, the postseason that year was amazing. Um, they, they beat the Brewers in game one. Game two, Sabathia pitched. And Sabathia... In one of the most memorable half innings of Phillies history, um, I think the Phillies were one nothing down at the time, and Brett Myers came up to bat, and there was two outs in the inning. I think there was a runner on third when Myers came up, and um, I think the Phillies. I, I'm trying to remember exactly what led up to it, but the two bits that everybody remembers is Myers drawing this elongated walk against uh, Sabathia down 0-2 the runner on third and he kept taking pitches, kept fouling pitches off and eventually got on base. Um, he then walked um, Jimmy Rollins on four pitches and Victorino hit a grand slam. And when that happened, it was just one of those, one of those moments where you didn't know what was going to happen with the Philly series uh, season, but you knew they were going to knock out the Brewers. Uh, they lost game three, but then came back to win game four. And then the Dodgers series in the NLCS, it was two, one Phillies going into game four. The Dodgers, held the lead in game four before a mad eighth inning. Victorino with a two-run home run to tie it up. Matt Stairs with a moonshot off Jonathan Broxton to uh, give the Phillies a 7-5 win. Phillies would close it out in game five to go to the World Series. Uh, World Series was, I'll be honest, one of the, if you were a neutral, one of the more forgettable World Series ever. But a World Series that had a couple of strange moments because um, game, games one and two were kind of routine the Phillies won game one the Rays won game two in the trop game three the Phillies won um with a ninth inning that was just bizarre because the ball left the infield once in the ninth inning and it happened because um the first batter got plunked I can't remember if it was Eric Bruntley who got plunked or if he came on to pinch run Bruntlett went to steal second and the throw went to the outfield and uh, he took third base. They intentionally walked the bases loaded and then Carlos Ruiz hit a dribbler up the third base line to 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 walk off. So one of the weird one of the weirdest ends to a World Series game ever. Game four, Joe Blanton homered, became the first pitcher to um to Homer in 
the World Series in like 40 years at the time, 30 or 40 years. Uh, Phillies blew the doors off them in that game. And then game five was the infamous uh, two-day rain delay. So it was tied uh, going into the middle of the sixth inning when it got suspended on the Monday. They picked it up on the Wednesday and things just... It was it was weird because like turning on a baseball game that started in the middle of the sixth inning from two days earlier just was so weird. And it just genuinely felt like fast-paced baseball because uh, the Phillies immediately scored a run. Um, I think it was, I'm trying to remember who the Rays hitter was. I want to say Rocco Baldelli, actually, homered off Ryan Madsen. Uh, Pedro Feliz hit an RBI single up the middle uh, to give the Phillies a 4-3 lead. And then Brad Lidge closed out in the ninth inning to clinch the Phillies' second ever World Series. And it was funny because I remember the 2009 season. And I remember just kind of, there's so much of that season I forgot. And the reason I forgot it is I was so happy after 2008 that like nothing could really bring me down. And 2009 was just one of those things. And I remember when the Phillies got back to the World Series in 2009, which was the like the postseason was just like the lead up to the World Series was just a stroll. Um, again, it was 2-1 Phillies in game four uh, and Rollins with two outs in the ninth hit a two-run double to win the game. Uh, again, beating the Dodgers, again beating Jonathan Broxton, but it was just so enjoyable, the lead up to that um, World Series. It wasn't a case of like, I was expecting the Phillies to get back or anything like that. It was just, it was just so enjoyable. And the baseball was fun and the Phillies were good and you were still happy from the season before. Then. It never occurred to me that the Phillies might win it again until they got back to the World Series. Obviously, it wasn't it to be. The Yankees um, beat them in six games. The only big thing that really came out of 2009 was uh, Cole Hamels had a really, really bad season. He took a while to get going that season, I remember. I don't know what happened, but I remember at the start of the season there was panic because his fastball was topping up out at about 88 miles an hour and his changeup was just floating up to the plate and getting smashed all over the place. So there was worries. He eventually kind of got it turned around, but I remember he had a bad start in uh, his start in the World Series. Uh, and then uh, I remember Pedro Martinez, who'd been picked up late in 2009, I remember he had a, a memorable eight-inning eight inning shutout against the Mets where he threw 130 pitches. That was bananas. Uh, he got smacked around in Game 6 of the World Series when you knew the Phillies couldn't afford to lose, and that was that. But by, by, by the end of that season and by the start of the next season, the Phillies had really shaped up what they were going to be. They had traded for Cliff Lee in the middle of the season, and then they weirdly flipped him in 2010 so they could go get Roy Halladay. Uh, they flipped Lee to the Mariners and they brought in Roy Halladay to to be at the top of the rotation. Hamill's got his act together again. And it just felt like the Phillies had built what could potentially be a dynasty in, in the National League. Halladay, in his first season, pitched a perfect game against the Marlins. He threw a, a no-hitter in his first playoff game against the Cincinnati Reds. Uh, the Phillies swept the Reds in... Uh, the NLDS before going down in six to the Giants. Giants went on to win the first of their three World Series. I remember the weirdness of um, Brian Wilson striking out Ryan Howard with a slider. Um, struck him out looking to, to clinch game six and clinch the pennant for the Giants. And it's just one of those weird things where like people were so used to the fact that the Phillies had won the World Series. They had won the National League uh, the year after. And they were just getting better and better on paper. But, um, yeah, the Giants 
kind of the Giants deserve to win that series. And I think a lot of people look back on that. And I, I remember at the time, everybody just expected the Phillies to win that series, no bother. But the Giants were the better team over those six games and absolutely deserve to win it. And then in uh, 2011, the Phillies brought back Cliff Lee. They had Roy Oswalt in the rotation as well. It was just absolutely insane. Uh, they won, I can't remember if it was 101 or 102 games that season. I think it was 102. They were just untouchable at times. Uh, but then they went to the playoffs, split the first four games against the Cardinals. Game five, Roy Halladay pitched a perler, but it wasn't good enough because um, I think it was Chris Carpenter was on the hill for the the, the Cardinals. Uh, the Cardinals won one nothing. Ryan Howard, I think Tori's Achilles, trying to run out the, the ground ball that finished the game. Didn't make it back for the start of the 2012 season. And unfortunately, things went to shit after that. 2012, too many guys were banged up. The team finished 81 and 81. When we came back for 2013, that's when the losing started. Ryan Howard was past his best. Guys like Utley and Rollins were starting to decline. And yeah, it was just a shame. Like Roy Halliday's arm was shot. Cliff Lee wasn't giving the Phillies a huge amount at the time. And yeah, it was just a shame to watch like that team all age at once to be honest because that was such a golden era for Phillies baseball I mean if you look at the if you looked at the lineup it was quite often the top six and it wasn't for the whole five years obviously but quite often the top six was like Jimmy Rollins Shane Victorino Chase Utley Ryan Howard Jason Worth you know like like Carlos Ruiz as well guys who were guys who were good hitters but obviously Worth left at some point I think it was 2011 for the Washington Nationals Howard got injured and was never really the same after it. Utley slowed down. Rollins slowed down. Victorino left um, when it was clear the Phillies needed to rebuild. And yeah, the rotation, we had Oswald was old. Halliday's arm went. Lee started to decline. Hamels was eventually shipped off. So um, it was sad to see the way that team was run after it was put together so aggressively. And what a lot of people forget about the moves that the Phillies made, they were so aggressive in trading prospects to create a win now that people worried about um, what that team was giving up in their future. But what was quite funny was that a lot of the guys that the Phillies gave up never really panned out. There, there was not, off the top of my head anyway, a single prospect that the Phillies traded in that time who went on to be like a star or anything resembling a star in baseball. And they got so much talent back, like Oswald, like Cliff Lee, like Hunter Pence, like Roy Halladay. And the Phillies ended up not giving up a whole a whole lot to get these guys, but the 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 conveyor belt just wasn't working in Philadelphia. And when everybody got old at once, that golden era kind of kind of came to an end. So it was it was it was sad to see it go. But I must admit, those five years, and to be honest, the year or two before that, when the Phillies were promising, they were getting good. Jim Tomey was in the lineup hitting dingers. Um, Aaron Rowan was playing centre field like a madman when he ran into a wall and broke his face one time making a catch that team was so much fun but obviously never had anything to show from it but um, I think the I think the disappointment for Philly fans is that from 2008 to 2011 on paper it was arguably the worst of the four teams that won the World Series so in some ways it's maybe disappointing that the Phillies didn't win multiple World Series but I'll never forget 2008. I'll cherish it forever. And yeah, I just hope that now that the Phillies have started to make moves in 2019 and got off to a good start, we can hopefully see something like that again. But 
Um, I guess that story hasn't been written yet, but the 2011 to 2011 Phillies team was my favourite. Yeah, it was quite something because um, that was all from memory, by the way. I didn't research any of that. Yeah, I mean, I'm just glad you have got that memory because um, obviously <laughs> after uh, I started watching uh, weirdly as you got shit. Actually, it was in 2012. <laughs> It was uh, so that was great for me because uh, to be honest, I that's the thing until till now I haven't ate, ever hated the Phillies. So it was, uh, but I do now obviously. But because um, the Nats were my team to to hate, they were. But uh, but yeah, just looking at some of the, I mean, look at the once you like really sort of think about. It, I mean, I mean yeah, you talk about Cliff Lee, Cole Hamels, Roy Halladay. Um, I don't know how they came after you won the World Series, but. Just looking at some of the numbers that Ryan Howard put up as well. I mean, look at the, if we even stretch back to 2005, you know, he wins the Rookie of the Year, yeah. wins the MVP, hitting your league-leading 58 home runs, 149 RBI. And then, uh, you know, in the next three years, he's in the top five of the MVP each time, you know, fifth, second, and then third. So it was... Um, you know, for those for the years that you have talked about, he hit uh, 204. Uh, he averaged 41 home runs, yeah, for that time. So he was, and you know, Jimmy Rollins as well. He, I think he won an MVP as well, didn't he? Or, or yeah, he won an MVP in 2007. He had a he had a 2020 2020 season where he had 20 homers, 20 doubles, 20 triples, and stole 20 bases, which is very rare. I think he wasn't the only one who did it that season as well. I think there was. I think Curtis Granderson did it that season for the Tigers as well. But um, like, yeah, Rollins. Rollins won the MVP in 07. It was Howard was 06, wasn't it? Yeah, and he was um, number two. He was second to Albert Pujols in 2008. Yeah, because I remember early in 2008, after like maybe two months of the season, Utley was having an unbelievable season where he was he was hitting something like 330 with 20 home runs at the end of May. And everybody was thinking the Phillies were going to were gonna three-peat different MVPs, but uh, Utley's season kind of went off the rails in the middle of the season. He had a run in the middle of that season where he went something like 0 for 25. And like he had such a cold, cold middle of that season that, I mean, he kind of, disqualified himself from any MVP chat and Albert Pujols that season was incredible I remember but yeah I mean you go back to that era like Ryan Howard was such a such a funny one because he was always susceptible to off-speed pitches he was always a guy who on a 2-0 count he thought he was getting a fastball and he almost never did he was a guy that would strike out like crazy and this is this is a, a slightly different era where those level of strikeouts that we see now were still there in some players but weren't as prevalent. He would go through long stretches of just not hitting at all. He was so bad off left-handed pitching. But when he got hot, and he would have these two, three-week spells at a time where you couldn't throw a baseball near him because he would just hit it and it would stay hit. And he would just constantly do that. He did it down the stretch in 08. I think he hit 11 in September that month, uh, in the last month of 2008. And, like, you always knew when Ryan Howard was ready to get hot when he would hit a towering opposite field home run. It was almost like that was the start of his hot stretch every time. Someone would throw him, like, a curveball outside and he would just tattoo it over the left field fence. 
and it was like here we go we're going to get good ryan howard for three weeks and like i say he was just you couldn't pitch to him for for like a few weeks he would hit 400 he'd hit about seven or eight home runs he'd drive in about 15 20 he just put runs on the board when he was when he was swinging the bat good and it's interesting because like he was always a guy with a big body who's probably going to break down young, but he was he was on a Hall of Fame pace for a while. It was always just a question of whether he could stay healthy, and ultimately he didn't. But I mean, Ryan Howard was Ryan Howard was at times the best hitter in baseball to watch, at times the worst hitter in baseball to watch. But I mean, you certainly wanted him on your team. Yeah, I loved, I, I loved um, Ryan was- Howard. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, just look at his numbers. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, he was, he looks, as you say, his numbers just look like he was a Hall of Fame player from his debut for about six or seven years. And then, yeah, around the time I started watching him, yeah, I must admit, it was, uh, my, my recollections of him are just him striking out, really. So it's yeah. just, uh, yeah, so it was, um, yeah, it was a funny player. But as I said, I, all I heard when I started watching him was that he was this uh, superstar that was in decline. So it's, it is difficult because I'm going purely on numbers, but my, my, my memory really of Ryan Howard was he was an absolute unit, and it was yeah. uh, you could tell when you know it, when his mechanics would have been straight on, you know that ball is being absolutely demolished and it's been it's uh, it's it's you know say goodnight you know that baseball's out of the stadium you know so it's uh, uh, so yeah it was clearly a hell of a, an era for. Phillies baseball. I mean, it was even better than they. They had a great year in the late seventies, early eighties when they had, uh, um, you know, uh, Mike Schmidt, Joe Morgan, Pete Rose. You know, they, you know, they had. Uh, they really uh, went to town on free agency becoming a thing. That's for sure. And it was, um, but uh, but yeah, there's no doubt that this team, you know, Rollins, Cliff Lee, Cole Hamels, Roy Halladay, Chase Utley, Ryan Howard. It was. Um, and, you know, even people in the background, you know, I'm sure there were like some unsung heroes, like maybe like Blanton and, and, and such that were that were just as important. Um, but, yeah, it was it is a strange story, really, how they all collapsed at once. I don't you don't see that very. I mean, it's usually a slow disintegration, really, isn't it? I mean, uh, yeah. um, through sides and it's uh, but uh, yeah, and then it's taken you a few years but you, you know you're finally accustomed quite a formidable looking lineup again and um yeah it's uh it's very interesting be interesting because you're expecting now the phillies now to have uh, maybe not the same golden era um i mean this is a question more for you i guess than uh for you for me to sort of thing but you could what was the the rest of the division like during those five years i mean was it anywhere near as competitive as it is now no the the nats were terrible the uh, the marlins were mostly terrible they had a couple of okay seasons but never made the playoffs the braves were just starting to slowly decline after um after obviously their golden era of winning the division like 14 times in a row they had they had they had started to come back to the pack and i think the thing with the braves around about that time was they were still decent um, they, they 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 still made the playoffs at least once in that time um, as a wild card, um, but I mean they weren't they weren't the same Braves. Obviously they had been the 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 guts of that Hall of Fame rotation had gone. They still had Chipper Jones. They still had some good bats, um, but 
Yeah, the Braves the Braves were just kind of a middling team and the Mets were it was really funny because like 2006, 2007 and 2008 the Mets had a really really good team. Um they had um they had like Carlos Delgado was batting cleanup. Uh, they had just acquired Johan Santana. Um they had the guts of a really really good team, David Wright, Jose Reyes, but the Mets would always find creative ways to fuck it up. You know, I think it was Yadier Molina hit a ninth inning home run in the 2006 uh, NLCS Game 7, which ultimately yeah. uh, took them out of that. I think it was Yadier Molina who, at the time, I mean, Molina became a better hitter over time, but at the time, like, no one was watching that at bat thinking Yadier was going to go deep. Yeah, um, But the Mets had... Went, sorry, go on. Yeah, the Mets had so much talent at the time. Um, like, they, they, were just, they were just a good team. They had Carlos Beltran... Uh, they had some. They they always had some flamethrowers in the bullpen as well. They eventually they acquired uh, Francisco Rodriguez in the I want to say the 2008 season, maybe in 2009. And I remember he started the season on fire, like, and then his first blown save was against the Yankees in like mid June or something like that. Um, where basically like he got a Rod to pop up uh, with two outs, and Luis Castillo dropped it and two runs scored, and the Yankees walked off. Um, but like. The, the thing about the Mets, like the Mets just always find ways to blow it. And then eventually, like, they, like, they, they just lost a few, they lost enough guys that were, that were good and old that uh, some declined, some left, that the Mets went through a wee bit of turmoil until really they started to bring through what is now um, the, the legendary pitching rotation. Because the Mets lineup for a while um, went from, awesome to pretty bad um and their pitching was okay santana obviously um i don't know if it was the 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 130 or 140 pitches he threw and he's no hitter that was eventually what did him in but i mean his arm essentially fell off (laughs) there's hardly another way to put it and um yeah like the mets went from very 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 good but blowing it a lot to just a bad side to be honest so like it did get to a point towards the end of that Phillies golden era where like no one in the division could touch them and not just because the Phillies were so good it was just there was not really any good teams in that division and it certainly in 2011 I remember it being a particularly poor division um but I mean obviously the Mets started to turn it around around about 2013 I want to say the Nationals obviously um, they brought they they brought through Strasbourg and Harper, and that was really the start of their turnaround. The Marlins have still not been great. The Braves started to really bring some stuff through. So, I mean, realistically, from I would say 2011 onwards, the division wasn't that good. Um, like the Phillies were good, but the rest of the division sucked. And then the Nationals got good, and the rest of the division kind of sucked. And then it just kind of went back and forward, where like. There was never a standout team in the division, um, which is actually why I was surprised the Mets got to the World Series. And what year was it, 2015? Yeah, we were. I did not we, see that coming. Sorry, go on. I did not see that coming in 2015. I knew the Mets had a good team, and I knew the Mets were one of those teams that like were starting to build something. But I honestly thought at the time that I remember thinking that season that like the Mets are going to be really good in like 2017. Um, and I mean, it looks like they kind of peaked in 2015 then. Granted, that's 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 a good Mets team they've got at the moment. But, like, if you look at that era, like, 
at the at the point where the Mets were on the up, they immediately got to a World Series and could have won it. And then it's just never been as good. Yeah, I mean we, I mean I go over that World Series so much because we gave away three of those four games that we lost yep. against the Royals late. Yes. But I said, yeah, you weren't you weren't the only one because we who thought that it was a bit early for the Mets because you know during that season we were having like Eric Campbell and John Mayberry Jr. in the middle of the order, you know, it was, and then it, it didn't seem it was only like a month later or, or something like that we were trading for. Cespedes and then every Mets fan I was like whoa whoa right we've got Cespedes that's great but who the who the bloody hell have we been fleeced for and then yeah. he, he was loaded against none of us had ever heard of it was brilliant and yeah, the, it was well bizarre. rookie of the year and he's a he's done well but I think he's just that he's got the Mets curse and he's already left and he's and he's left us I think he's got Tommy John I think hasn't he or has had Tommy John who is it sorry and he's uh, Michael Fulmer oh yeah yeah he was yeah. in he was in the Cespedes trade, and it was. Mm. Uh, I mean, yeah, Cespedes hasn't been. He's been pretty good since, but not outstanding. But he was the reason we got to the World Series. That trade got us that. I mean, uh, I mean, yeah, we were well ahead of schedule, really. But that's because really, Degrom, I think, had just. I think that was when he got called up. I want to say that thing. Um, Harvey was great that the, season until was yeah. it Game Six of the World Series. Some uh, we didn't reach Game Six of the World Series. <laughs> Was it Game Five? Yeah, uh, that Harvey was Game Five. Yeah. Yeah. And he was. Uh, well, yeah, he should have been taken out after the eighth inning and then yes. given to familiar. But it was. Um, but yeah, the, the pitching were brilliant. I mean, Cologne was underrated that season. He was. He was basically the reason we were even in contention. And well, partly him. Well, and the rest of the rotation as well, and also the fact that the Nats. Let's be fair, they let us back in. Yeah. Really, and they 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 had a chance to run away with it when we were. The middle of that season, we were absolutely awful for about a month or so. It was just terrible to watch. We were a terrible team. But we were still, like, by about mid-July, by the All-Star Bruce, and we weren't that far behind them. And then I think we swept them, um, I think, and then it became quite an iconic Mets moment where incredibly close call of the plate and um, David Wright, uh, uh, when he was fit, because uh, I think that was the most fit he's been in the this decade, I think, <laughs> and he and he um and he sort of fist pumps the you know um well you know he sort of like a, I don't know how you describe it, fist pump where he, he he kind of fist pumped the ground as it were and he just went yes come on and he was um and he was one and he was an incredible comeback and we swept the series and you know Flores that iconic moment with Flores and um where he got told by the crowd he was getting traded um and then he. That not long after and walks off against the Nats and um you know pumping his chest and that um it was uh, yeah it was a strange was old devastated season to be traded I remember that and then he was, yeah. somebody failed somebody failed a medical or something like that well I don't think it was ever got that close to be honest because what I can tell from Sandy Olsen certainly seemed to suggest it was never as close as the media seemed to suggest it was so it was, um, but yeah, it might have been a medical issue, but I don't remember it being as close as everyone okay. seemed to suggest it. But, but, he, it was, um, but it was, he, he got told he was traded, didn't he? He might, I think he's, well, that's the thing. He, as far as I know, he was crying in the middle of the game because he was got told by someone in the crowd. Right, okay. You know, so, yeah, because he came out and he could see him 
crying. He hadn't been crying before. It's because someone in the crowd says, um, congratulations on you being traded, Wilmer. And he says, what? Yeah. Or something like that. Sure, that's true. And he, uh, yeah, just came out and started crying. And then after the game, it was just, it was vintage Mets, really. It was like, it was just complete kerfuffle, really. And it was so embarrassing. And then not long after that, he he made the Cespedes trade. And then Flores in uh, walks off against, um, in the ninth against the Nats. And, you know, where, he, you know, he's, He's not. He was never a brilliant player, Flores, but he was just always just a really likable guy because he's sort of like living our dream, as it were. And and he was. Uh, but yeah, it was a it was a season I'm not going to forget. That's for sure. Cause it was it was a strange season. I mean, Daniel Murphy turning into Babe Ruth during the postseason. <laughs> and so it was um, every time because I I was working throughout that championship series, so I had to to miss pretty much all the postseason. So it was. Um, I didn't have the foresight to think we were going to win the pennant, so I couldn't, I, I couldn't book any time off. Um, but yeah, every morning I woke up and Daniel Murphy did a home run. <laughs> you know, so it was, but um, but yeah, that was uh, a lot of fun um, that that uh, season. And uh, definitely came a little bit early. In 2017 was probably going to be our time, really. We thought and it's not really worked out that way, but hopefully this season is, will be better. Yeah, I mean, early in the season, there's, what, two and a half games separating the top four. I think the Phillies, Mets, Braves, Nationals all have to look at this season as an opportunity. Uh, all four are good. All four have got positives. All four, like you said, um, have problems, um, which I suppose we can probably get into more next week because those problems will probably still be there for all four. But, um, yeah, I think, you know, I, I still feel like I don't feel like any of the four teams at the top of this division have in any way given me any indication that they're going to fall away. Um, and yeah, it's just setting up to be a really good season. As we've talked about, the Nationals are probably the most balanced team. The Braves have done a good job of locking up their core for the next few years. It's probably the best Mets team since 2015 and certainly the best Phillies team since uh, 2011. So um yeah it's 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 been it's been good so far we've we've gone down a rabbit hole today i'm just looking at the timer we're 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 almost at an hour and a quarter i was worried this would happen at some point and here we are but uh i suppose we should we should wrap up just now um you'll be looking forward to um the 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 phillies mets rematch next week as am i and yeah i'm just quite i'm quite looking forward to seeing what happens as the as the as the braves and nationals kind of avoid each other and see what happens this time next week because you never know if the Phillies and Mets uh, don't do well over the weekend and then beat up in each other next week it's a it's an open door for Atlanta or Washington to be top of the division next this time next week but uh, we'll wrap up just now I need to go to work uh, Thomas it's been an absolute pleasure shooting the breeze with you as always yeah thanks for having me Jared. no bother no bother and we will talk to you guys next week about what's been going on in the NL East and we're going to talk the amazing Mets 